This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, May 23rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, remembering Abbott Smith. Mountain Village moves to ban plastics ahead of state law. G is for government previews Telluride Town Council and a mountain weather forecast. But first, firefighters are continuing to combat the Sims Mesa fire south of Montrose. The fire ignited last Thursday after a prescribed burn got out of control. It is burning at just over 370 acres and is 90% contained. Abbott Smith is the definition of go big or go home, a jack of all trades. He was willing to always put in the effort to have these amazing life experiences that we were so lucky to even be a small part of. And he definitely welcomed everybody into these great experiences or the stories of these experiences. That's Zoe Dinell, a friend of Smith's. He was such a great friend, um, but he, um, yeah, was just a beautiful soul that, that went for the extremes in all things, and beautiful things came out of that. Stephen Abbott Smith, known as Abbott to his friends and family, died in a motorcycle crash on Saturday, May 21st. According to the Mountain Village Police Department, Smith was riding home when his motorcycle went off the road on Double Eagle Drive. He was 37 years old. Originally from Wisconsin, Smith moved to the Telluride region and opened the Telluride Distilling Company with his wife, Joanna, in 2015. In 2019, they opened a tasting room in Mountain Village. With our tasting room up there, he's always very much into this is a place for everybody. We, we want everybody to come here. We want everybody to be happy. Um, we want to welcome everybody, you know, everybody gets to sit at the table with us. Dustin Clements, a friend and partner of Abbott's at the distillery. Donnell says he was always bursting with ideas. He would come by my office on a regular basis here with so many ideas for our community um, through, you know, his business, the Telluride Distilling Company, but he would go well beyond just the scope of his individual business, just to think about how we can improve our community. Danelle is also the business development and sustainability director for the town of Mountain Village. Smith was a member of the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association board, the Mountain Village Promotional Association, and the Meadows Resident Advisory Committee. But outside of work, he was an avid outdoorsman. March and Ostronecki met Smith when they were 15 years old in Wisconsin. Oh, we definitely, you know, instantly connected over a strong passion for skiing, which, uh, you know, continued to evolve over the years. We we spent a lot of time first in high school, you know, ski racing and, uh, you know, working together at the at the ski shop. We uh, we shared a love for, for, for that. And, you know, that ended up taking us all over the country. We, uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, living together in a pickup truck and, you know, bumming on couches and ended up morphing into big mountain skiing and backcountry skiing. Their adventures would span the miles and decades. In college, we climbed uh, Mount Rainier together uh, early in college. We climbed it twice in a period of a month and spent a lot of time on the mountain and, uh, 
looking back on it, we probably, you know, didn't know what we were doing. We kind of pieced together backcountry ski experience and rock climbing experience. And, uh, we read a book and figured it out. And, uh, there were a lot of mistakes made, but we worked together as a team and, uh, got through it and, uh, you know, had, had a lot of things to overcome, but, uh, you know, uh, Ab, Abbott with his determination was, was, we, we were going to get to the top and we we're going to get to the top and down safely. But if you ask those who were close to him, at the heart of Abbott was his heart. Abbott was always a very um, open person towards anybody, you know. He's always uh, welcoming and willing to chat and meet new people and, you know, help, help people out however he could. And he's always willing to be there for you and, you know, willing to push you to be your best person and just who he was. He cared deeply about his friends and family. He would always check in about your family and he would know a lot about what was going on in your personal life too and of course share wonderful pictures of his beautiful baby Ray and um, that he was so proud of with his wife Joanna. So just a truly open heart um, that I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity for him to even be a part of my life um, regardless of the time that it was. He was determined to be the best dad, the best uh, the best father, the best husband. Uh, he's really excited for that part of his life. Um, and I think, you know, you, you, people saw that. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest part of this tragedy. He had, he had that whole uh, part of his life ahead of him. The cause and manner of Smith's death is under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Smith is survived by his siblings, Jimmy and John, his parents, Stephanie and James, his wife, Joanna, and his baby daughter, Reagan. Friends are planning a celebration of life for Abbott Smith. Details will be shared as they become finalized. Last year, the state of Colorado passed a bill to reduce plastic use. It effectively bans single-use plastic bags and styrofoam takeout food containers, and it also implements a bag fee of 10 cents or higher at point of sale for recycled content paper bags. That's Lauren Kern, Environmental Efficiencies and Grant Coordinator for the Town of Mountain Village, speaking at a town council meeting last week. The state law is scheduled to go into effect in 2024, but now, Mountain Village is looking to, in essence, implement the law a year early. It would go into effect in 2023. It's in alignment with um, the House bill, so it effectively bans styrofoam takeout food containers and plastic bags. And it also implements a bag fee of 20 cents per bag at point of sale. Businesses would get to keep 40% of the bag fee, with the other 60% going back to the town for environmental and sustainability programs. The town of Telluride banned single-use plastic bags and created a bag fee in 2011. According to Kern, based on a survey of businesses in Mountain Village's core, the ban and fee won't be too much of an impact. Zero currently use styrofoam takeout food containers and one use plastic bags, so the effect of the ban would essentially be negligible on current business operations. Um, and then regarding the bag fee, 71 or excuse me, 75 percent said it was a positive or no impact to their business, and then 25% said it would have a negative effect. Um, and their main concerns 
were just the training of the cashiers, um, the expense to Mound Village visitors, and then um, just the fact that they would have to implement this new kind of tax burden. Council was supportive of moving the plastic ban date up a year, but questioned if the ordinance will put Mountain Village in contradiction of state law. Here's an exchange between council member Dan Caton and Kern. So are Correct. we running afoul of the law for a year? Uh, yes, so technically we would be. Um, <laughs> but if you... So, I was sworn to uphold the Constitution <laughs> of the state of Colorado. With that said, Mountain Village Town Attorney David McConnell says the town shouldn't worry. One of the first cities to adopt a similar ban was Aspen in May of 2012. And the city of Aspen was in fact sued. And my colleague, your assistant town attorney, Andrea Bryan, uh, represented the city of Aspen in the Colorado Supreme Court and won upholding their ban. So if anyone dares sue Mountain Village, we will sick Andrea on them and we will win. Kern adds the additional year allows businesses to adjust to the new law before it goes into effect statewide. This legislation is coming. It's just a matter of when we want to address it. Um, so the point in, in having it be implemented in 2023 in Mountain Village is to give our businesses time to adjust to it and adapt and understand what the legislation is, what the restrictions are, what the process is for remitting the fees collected, and then also having that financial system in place so that they're more comfortable with collecting the fees and processing it. Mountain Village Town Council unanimously approved implementing a ban on single-use plastic bags in 2023, one year ahead of the statewide ban. It's a day of mid-year updates for the town of Telluride. In this installment of G is for Government, Councilmember Geneva Shawnette gives a preview on what to expect at this week's town council meeting. Hey Geneva, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Absolutely. Always good to talk to you. Julia. Telluride Town Council is back on Tuesday and we're going to knock on wood, but it seems like y'all have a pretty, dare I say, chill um, agenda for, for Tuesday, starting off with actually four work sessions in the morning. Can you explain what those are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are approaching halfway through the year. So, um, and you know, the changing of seasons um, for our tourism economy. So, uh, it's always a good time to chat about some things that are sort of ongoing. Um, the first thing we'll have in the morning is an executive session about the tourism board. Um, after that, the work sessions begin at 945. And the first work session is going to be a presentation from Matt Skinner about the Colorado Flights Alliance. Um, for those who don't know, Colorado Flights Alliance is basically um, an organization that uses some tax money to um, you know, bargain with uh, airlines to negotiate w what flights we get coming into Telluride and Montrose and to um, share information just sort of about air travel uh, in the state and in the nation in general. Um, next, we will hear um, from numerous staff members about the um, rates for parking meters in the parking garage in town. Then we'll hear from the planning department about uh, summer construction 
um, that we have anticipated sort of how many building permits are out there where we can anticipate some um, impacts. And then lastly, we will be having a work session about um, potentially adding more vending locations in the town of Telluride. We had more applications for vending licenses than we had permits available. And um, so we, as a council, are going to be discussing whether or not we should add some more vending locations and where they could potentially be. Um, also, just for a reference, I will be recused from that because I have a business um, renting kitchen facilities. So um, it's a little close to my business. There's a few other kind of admin side things in um, the morning before y'all break for lunch. And then in the afternoon, there's a number of things going on, but I think one specifically that um, listeners might be interested in talking about bluegrass. What does that action item discuss? Yeah. So, um, Basically, uh, Bluegrass is coming to us with a request in um, partnership with the Parks and Rec Department and the town manager um, about whether we should release some more tickets for locals. Um, in the past, there's been years past where Bluegrass has been approved for 12,000 um, people in the park at once, and more recently, um, we've only been doing 11,500. So the proposal is to release an extra 500 tickets um, per day to locals at the regular locals discounted rate. Um, and that would uh, allow more locals to be able to visit the show. With this action item, though, town council isn't making a decision as to whether or not Bluegrass will put these tickets on sale per se, but it's allowing that crowd size to grow so they would have some wiggle room to do that. Is that correct? But yeah, town does not sell the tickets. This is a proposal that Planet Bluegrass is seeking approval for to up the crowd size so that they can sell more locals tickets. No offense to all the other things that are happening in the afternoon. That's kind of the the big one for the afternoon. Is there anything else that you think listeners would be interested in hearing about? Yeah, sure. I mean, just really briefly, I think that there's always good information in the manager's report. And when we do council reports in the afternoon, I did get to see the sales tax and real estate tax, um, most updated numbers. Um, probably not a surprise that March was another record-breaking uh, month for the town of Telluride at one3 million dollars in sales tax collected. Um, And then the other thing that we've just been sort of watching and and we weren't really sure what was going to happen this year is the real estate transfer tax since, you know, so many homes have sold and there's been so um, such small numbers of units listed available, low inventory um, for sale. We've been sort of waiting for the really crazy high numbers that we've been seeing in real estate sales go down. But in 2022, Right now, I'm looking at um, January through May, and we are already at $4.7 million in RET, which is 78% of what we had budgeted for this year, which is $6 million in um, in RET collection. So, yeah, I guess it's got to... It's going to go down at some point, we're thinking, um, but always nice to under-budget RET so that we can still move forward with all of our capital projects uh, that the town executes on a yearly basis. Well, Geneva, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me, and we will see you on Zoom or on the radio tomorrow morning. Thanks so much, Julia. See you then.
Bus service from the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation will be expanding this week. Starting Thursday, May 26th, Smart will add a trip from Telluride to Norwood at 9.45 a.m. with a return at 11 a.m. It will also add a trip from Telluride to Norwood at 11.30 p.m. The new trips will include stops at Two Rivers and the Lawson Hill Park and Ride. The routes will run Monday through Friday. Smart is also expanding service for Lawson Hill. There will be additional trips between Telluride and Lawson with an early morning trip, three additional midday trips, and one additional evening trip. The Nuklanatarita Norwood bus will now stop at the Lawson Hill Park and Ride. Due to the additional stop, the West End bus will leave Nukla and the stops along the way five minutes early. The Down Valley bus will also stop at the Lawson Hill Park and Ride. The new service will begin Thursday, May 26th and run at least for the summer season. The Jeeps will be rolling through town before you know it. And where are they to go if not over a pass? Lucky for them, the snow is melting and the passes are opening. Ofer Pass opened on Monday, joining Last Dollar Pass and Tomboy Road. Tomboy is currently only open from the town of Telluride to the old town of Tomboy. Imogene and Black Bear Passes remain closed for the time being. As Telluride gears up for the summer season, everyone could use some deep breaths, mindful art, and meditative rocks. Enter the Wilkinson Public Library. This week, the library will be hosting Rock Mandala Painting to unwind and nurture your mental health and well-being. All supplies will be provided. The library will host the Mindful and Meditative Rock Mandala event on Tuesday, May 24th at 5.30 p.m. A federal judge has vacated a plan for drilling and fracking in the North Fork and Thompson Divide areas. KDNK's Morgan Neely has more. Judge Marsha Krieger, a George W. Bush appointee, sided with Carbondale-based Wilderness Workshop and other advocacy groups. The groups sued the federal government and Gunnison Energy over a plan that would have allowed 35 new fracking wells in a 35,000-acre area. In the suit, the climate and conservation groups argued the federal government had failed to properly analyze water pollution and climate impacts. Judge Krieger agreed. Gunnison Energy is a subsidiary of billionaire Bill Koch's Oxbow Carbon. Koch owns a $100 million estate in Aspen and a 4,500-acre ranch in Paonia. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio and KDNK, I'm Morgan Neely. Off-highway vehicles will be permitted on a three-mile section of State Highway 149 in Hinsdale County starting this weekend and run through the end of September. The pilot program allows OHVs to access the Alpine Loop, a backcountry byway that connects Lake City, Silverton, and Uray. KVNF's Laura Palmasano spoke with Hinsdale County Sheriff Chris Cambish about OHV education and enforcement. 2020 was an overwhelming year for tourism in Lake City. The sheriff's office was understaffed. There were also a lot of complaints about OHVs not following the rules. What was last year like for your office? Last year was significantly different. Our staffing levels basically doubled. We went from two full-time officers, a trainee, and a part-time deputy to four full-time officers and essentially three part-time deputies. So we had a huge increase in that sense for our office. 
that led to more being able to cover more areas, more days, more hours, which I believe helped alleviate a lot of the complaints and allowed us to do better enforcement overall. What was interesting is we did see sort of an increase in the in crime, actual crime. And so, out, I mean, that's outside of the OHV issue completely. I think that's just with an increase of all kinds of people, you get you'll get an increase of all kinds of problems. So we did see that a little bit. I don't know exactly what to attribute that to. What was the difference in citations between 2020 and 2021? So in 2020, OHV specific citations, we wrote 50 total citations. That's between the town and county. And in 21, that number increased to 86. The traffic contacts themselves went up significantly. Again, that is attributed to the number of deputies working, able to make those contacts. And each citation could have multiple violations written on it. So a citation doesn't necessarily reflect the number of violations. Um, typically, our OHV violations are your standard traffic violations, mostly kind of ignoring stop signs. Speed-wise, OHVs tend to obey the speed limits pretty well. The OHV-specific ordinances would be that other kind of big chunk of what the citations make up. Last year, an OHV damaged land next to Lake San Cristobal, prompting the county to put up a rock barrier and signage to keep vehicles out. In 2020, there was damage to the tundra on the Alpine Loop. How is the sheriff's office and the county working to protect sensitive areas from OHVs and other misuses? Obviously, education's the first thing. I think when people come and don't really understand, then they don't really know what the boundaries are, so it's hard for them to stay within those. So education is always something that's really important to our town, to our county, obviously to the sheriff's office and those other groups that are involved in recreation in our area. Increased enforcement, increased presence is one of those things that we uh, strive to do. We work pretty close partnerships with our friends in the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, our Forest Service. The county has a volunteer organization, Alpine Outdoor Association, and they're going to be increasing their efforts as well as far as education goes, being a presence for helping people to understand the rules, where they can go, where they can't go. Stay the Trail is another organization that helps a lot with that. But we just, you know, on our part, unfortunately for the Sheriff's Office, we get to do, you know, holding people accountable for their poor behavior. And and so we try to do that as best we can given the situation. So if, if writing a ticket's appropriate, then that's what we do. If educating somebody is a is most appropriate, then that's what we do. In 2021, the Town of Silverton Board of Trustees voted to ban OHVs on town streets, then overturned that ban. Then in October of last year, citizens voted to again ban OHVs from town streets. How does this ban impact the flow of traffic to Lake City? That will be interesting to see. We don't really know what the actual impact of that's going to be yet. Obviously, I think some of the Facebook groups or social media groups have People have said, well, we're just going to go to Lake City or these other places, but we don't know. We haven't seen it yet. I think uh, this summer is going to bring us an interesting sort of dynamic of situations where, yes, Silverton has closed the town limits to OHVs, but we also have a sort of a crisis with fuel prices. So does that mean people aren't going to go recreate mechanically this summer just because of gas prices? So maybe they'll find other ways to spend their vacation time. How is the sheriff's office working to make sure visitors understand and follow OHV regulations, such as wearing safety goggles, obeying speed limits, driving with a driver's license, making sure children aren't operating OHVs on restricted areas? The OHV ordinances themselves for both the town and the county are the same. 
like I said earlier, part of our job is education. There are some things that we are more willing to be take the education route on. Obviously, underage drivers is not something we're willing to really compromise on or, or wiggle on. Got to be a licensed driver to operate these machines on public roads, and that's that's a pretty to me a pretty obvious you know regulation that we would follow and ask other people to abide by. What is the role of the Alpine Ranger? Our current deputy who works on the Alpine Loop, he's a fully certified deputy. His job is to enforce the law. He just primarily works in the more rural areas, particularly the the BLM lands, so the Alpine Loop and, and a few other places around our county. And his job is to do just what any other law enforcement officer would do. Traffic control is part of that. Responding to calls is part of that. Helping people understand where to go, how to get there what services are available and what places, all those things. So he is very much a regular law enforcement officer, but he also does a lot of the public education stuff because it is kind of a different world once you get out of town and get on the Alpine Loop. Thank you for your time, Chris. Very happy to do it. Thank you. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around freezing. Tuesday, there's a 30% chance of snow showers with partly sunny skies and a high near 50 degrees. Tuesday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 30 degrees. Wednesday calls for sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night. The high is near 60 degrees with a low around 40. This has been the news for Monday, May 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.